Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church out of beautiful McKinney, Texas. Glory to God. Thanks be to God we get a chance to gather in the house of the Lord again this morning. Yes. And that we get to hear the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I hope that the, the study today, our Bible study, will be as enlightening and uplifting and as powerful for you as it is for me. I get a chance to glean from it, you know, as I'm working on it throughout the week. So I get a chance to look at it and live it and learn it as I go through the week. So you guys get get a chance just just this morning. So I hope you enjoy. And if you guys will join me for a word of prayer, in a word of prayer, please. And we'll uh, ask the Lord to bless the message and bless our hearts and bless our ears as we get going. So Lord, thank you so much. For your holy word, the infallible word of God, full of truth. Lord, you said in your word that you hold your word above your even your name. That's how powerful, that's how important, that's how much you even honor your word. Not that we should idolize your word, Lord. We read your word just to come to know you, just to grow stronger in you, to grow closer to you. We don't grab your word and hold it to our chest as as if it's our God. Lord, it just helps us to get to know you. So, Lord, help us to understand your word today clearly. Help us receive the message that you have for us today. Prepare our hearts as we listen. I pray you keep distractions out, Lord. Keep the enemy away as he hates the truth. Because he's a liar from the beginning, Lord, and so he hates the truth. He dwells in darkness as you dwell in the great light. And help us, Lord God, to hear the light today. Help us to hear the truth. I pray for everybody that will ever listen to this message, Lord. I pray, God in heaven, that you would move on their hearts and stir their hearts and stir our hearts here today, Lord God, with your truth. As we listen to it, Lord, and may we again, Lord, I pray this for all of us and those that will ever listen. May we not just hear, but may we do. May we not be hearers of the word only, but may we be hearers and then doers. I pray that the soils that this message will go upon, Lord God, would all be the good soil. 30 and 60 and 100 full good fruit will come from what they hear today. So we love you and we bless you and we praise you. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So the title of today's message is going to be, Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Simply, why is Jesus correct? Kind of what you could say. So we're going to read Matthew 8. We're going to read verses 16 and 17. That's going to be our main scripture, but we're actually going to... I'm going to read 14 through 17. This is just something new that the Lord just put on my heart just as I kind of started because it actually fits what the very thing that we're going to talk about, probably spend five minutes on or something in the beginning. So if we want to start in Matthew 8, chapter 8, go to verse 14. I know we did 14 and 15 last week, but we're going to just read over 14 and 15, 16 and 17 all together, and then I got something really interesting that the Lord showed me as something for this... For this message. So Matthew 8:14, if you're there, let's read. And we read again. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now why did I read verses 14 and 15 again this week as we already studied them last week? Well, there's a really interesting gold nugget that's in between 14 and 15 and 16. And I almost easily it's easy it's easy to pass it over. Easy. We just miss it just like that. 
unless the Holy Spirit is speaking, and then now we can understand. And Look at verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother, so that's where he was. He did that miracle there. He healed her in verse 15. He touched her hand. You remember Mark says he grabbed her hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she arose and she served them. Now, that's then. Well, the key to what's easily missed is in verse 16. Look at the first half of verse 16. Now, when evening had come. Now, wait a minute. So that was during the day. Because it wasn't in the evening, or else verse 16 wouldn't have said, when evening came. Which means that Jesus did that miracle sometime during the day. Time hours. And then we got verse 16, when evening had come. What did they talk about in Peter's house all day long when they were sitting there? We don't get to know. We don't get to know. But boy, wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall of that house in there? Because you know that Jesus didn't just sit around sipping tea. They went in and they were interacting. They were talking. They were doing things, but we don't get to know what they were. But they were there all day long. What happened throughout all the middle of the day? Wow. This isn't the only time this happened in Scripture. We have another time when two disciples were walking down the road to Emmaus. And this was after the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus joined them and they walked together for a while with him. Now the disciples were talking amongst themselves and they said, you know, they were talking about what happened. Jesus had just been crucified. Just shortly before they were getting together, they were walking. Maybe even the day before, maybe even, you know, within that week. But of course it was a big event and they were a couple followers of his. So, you know, they were, it was pretty impactful to them that now their master was gone. So they're walking along and Jesus joins them, but they have no idea that it's Jesus. He hid it from them. So as they're walking along and talking, after Jesus joins them, it says in Luke that Jesus opened up the scriptures to them. And in Luke 24, 27, it's just a quick one, you can turn there, but it, I'll just quote it right off. The Bible says, And Jesus, at be, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, we don't know what he said. We don't know the sermon that he taught. But now this is God in the flesh, walking among two disciples, and he opens up the scriptures. He expounded to them, Luke 24, 27 says, which means he picked out all the things about himself out of all the Old Testament or the Tanakh, which is where he was written about the prophecy that talks about him. Again, we probably don't even know all the things that he said. And God gives revelation by His Holy Spirit to this day. But this is Jesus referring to Himself in the Old Testament. He went, through every, he, must, he went through every place where He was talked about in the Old Testament and He expounded to them and He taught them. And it says that as they listened, their hearts burned within them. Wouldn't you have just loved to be walking along listening to that conversation. Why didn't somebody get it a, get a soundbite of it? Why wasn't somebody walking with a video camera? Oh, dear God, I, I would have loved to just been there and be walking alongside. Oh, it's just, these things are just uh, amazing. We'll, we'll call what we did today verse 15.5, haha. You know, there's no extra verses in the Bible, but it is something that we could so easily miss. 
What did they do during the middle of the day? And and I'm sure that's not not, not that's not even all the extent of everything that God did or said. Where we don't actually get a recording. So you know we got to move on today. But just just think in eternity. We can just take a snippet of it and talk to Moses and talk to Elijah and talk to Adam and Eve and Elijah and Jesus himself. And we can say, Jesus, what did you talk about on the road to Emmaus? What did you tell those disciples? Jesus, what did you do when you were in Peter's house and you healed his mother-in-law? And then evening came. It was a whole day there, Lord. What did you do? We don't get to know. Or we, wow, what did you talk about? And then we can just take a small snippet of eternity and say, wow, you know, and take it aside and say, just tell us. Tell us what you said. We got to know. Tell us what you said. You only had, you only had just a little bit recorded. And I just think that that's awesome that, that I saw that in there, that God showed me that in there. And it's 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 really neat sometimes to muse, to meditate on these things like that. And of course, you know, again, we can think and it's fun to think, but be careful when we start to think. Don't think outside of scripture. Don't think outside, you know, like the century and I go back to two weeks ago where, well, because we don't know, now we gotta make something up. That's not godly. Let's not go there. Let's not do that. But it's just, it's fun to think, wow, what could we have said? What could, what could he have said? What, what, what was it? What was it? So it's, uh, that's enough for now. So let's get into verse 16 of our scripture today. We have two verses that we're going to study. And um, praise be to God, we got so much material, we gotta, we got to work our way through. So let's read verse 16 again and see what God has to say to us. We read again verse 16. When evening had come... They brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Let's stop there. What do we see first of all? We see, I wonder, and we don't get to know again, who were the they that brought the demon-possessed people to Jesus? We don't get to know. It doesn't tell us who. Right there. They brought to him, Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. Who's they? All his disciples were with him, so it wasn't his disciples, it was they. But we don't get to know what their names were or who they were, but we do get to know two things about them, two very powerful things about these they. Number one, they had faith. Number two, they had lots of love. Well, you say, why faith and why love? Faith. Why? They believed that Jesus could heal those that they brought to Christ that were possessed. And they acted on that belief and they came to Jesus for help with these people. They came. Faith is a real neat thing. If you don't have faith, you don't go. Simply. If you don't have faith, you just don't show up. Faith asks. Faith believes that the miracle is possible. Faith inquires. Faith goes after. Faith is an action. We show our faith by our actions. And these people actioned on what they heard about Jesus, and they used their faith, and they came to Jesus. And they loved. How do we know that they loved? You may miss that. Real easy to miss again, but God showed it to me. How do they love? Well, think about it. Do we have a sane asylums today? Absolutely, we sure do. This is where they take those that they claim have schizophrenia, Mania, depression, paranoia, neurosis. And these places, they take these people that with all these mental diseases that they say are just a disease, and they pump them full of drugs, and they do shock therapy on them, and they do electroshock therapy and psychotherapy, and they, they pretty much weaken their mental and physical bodies 
so that these people aren't a danger to themselves or a danger to others. And they make these people that are what they would call mentally, you know, mentally challenged or, or, or uh, you know, crazy. And they stick them in these places. But guess what? All the stuff that they do, it doesn't heal them. All the drugs and the psychotherapy and the shock therapy, it doesn't heal them. The drugs and all the garbage aren't curing these people. And they wonder why. Why aren't the drugs curing these people? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll step out there and I'll say that these aren't just mental diseases. I say that today we still have demon possessions just like we did in the Bible. I say schizophrenia is a demon possession. I say that's a demon living in that person. And they're the ones that are being the multiple personalities for these people. But oh no, today we, we can't accept that. No, no, that, that Bible stuff, all that, that, that possession stuff, that doesn't happen. Well, I say that it does. And I say that if you think in your mind now, all the people that you know that you've seen or heard about that have been in these, these nut houses, they call them crazy houses or, or loony bins, we'll call them, with the white jackets, those people would be the people here that they brought to Jesus. So picture in your mind somebody that's talking to themselves, somebody that's maybe a danger to others. And that's who they brought to Jesus. Well, now think about it today. What do we do with those types of people today? Where do we put them? We put them in a special place. So we don't have to be around them. Because we're, well, that's weird. That person's weird. Well, don't you think the people then were the same way? People don't change, folks. People are the same yesterday, today. As God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so are mankind. So are people. We don't change. We're all self-absorbed. We're all ignorant. We're all rude. We're all about ourselves. We're all selfish. So, so were the people of Jesus' day. And we read it in Scripture. But these, they, they didn't just stick these people in loony bins. They came out with them. And they were seen with them. That's love. That's love. Absolutely. Now, I hate to point to it again. Look at 16 again. When evening had come. I mean, yes, that may be true. They loved them and they didn't want to really be seen with them. But look at when evening had come. They didn't go out during the broad light of the day. They did come in the evening. So that is something to say. But they still used their faith and had a love for these people, they could have just left these people that were crazy, talking to themselves wherever they were, and just done nothing. But they didn't. They loved. And so they used their faith. And they brought those that were terribly tormented. Because they loved those demon-possessed people. And they brought them to Christ for help. And what was Jesus' response? Go to the back half of verse 16. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. We have to never forget how powerful Christ Jesus really is. There was no help for these demon-possessed people because I'm sure the they had maybe even tried to take them to the physicians, to the doctors. But nothing had worked. Just like today, sticking somebody in a mental institution doesn't work because a physical cure can't cure a spiritual sickness. Period. The end. So here, what does it say? That with a word, be gone. Out, demon. Now, today, I've really seen demon-possessed people. I've met two or three of them. And when you're standing there in front of them, folks, maybe you guys haven't met some, and they're speaking to you in seven different languages, of which you only know that you can comprehend even one, maybe one Spanish, and maybe another one's Russian, maybe, and then the other five are, what is that? 
And when you're standing there and they're speaking to you in different octaves, because it's a real different person that you really hear, because I've been there and I've seen that, I've heard about that, I've been right there. It's pretty intimidating. And so don't think it was any different than here. They came, and you know, the way they talk and it's intimidating. But Jesus, with a word, out. Shut up, Satan. Get out of here. And the result? And he cast out the spirits and he healed all who were sick. Bam! His power over creation, his power over the universe, his power over everything is amazing. It's unlimited. Unlimited. Now this love that we see from these people here, the they, is not the only place that we see that in the Bible either. We go to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you want to turn, you can. And we read another account where some they's brought up paralyzed man to Jesus when he was teaching in a house. And we'll read the account of it in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'll teach on it a little bit. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, And again he... Jesus entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. Remember how we've talked before in scripture about multitudes of people being around Jesus at all times? Look at here. He was in a house. So imagine this room right here. Imagine the whole house though. And imagine there being not enough room around one another like there is in our little house church right here today. Not even by the door. That means if somebody came to the door and tried to open the door, not enough room means that they try to open the door, but it hits the back of the person that's standing by it. Body... To body, that's how full the house was. And it says here, And Jesus preached the word to them. Verse 3, Then they came to him. There we go with the they again. We don't know who they were, but they came to him. Bring a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, so they tried to get in the door, but there was no room in the house. They went up to the roof. They uncovered the roof where he was. So they climbed up the house, four guys with a paralyzed man on a bed. Wow! You want to talk about love? What did I say about there's that's not the only place in the Bible where people love? Imagine yourself. Maybe you don't have some good care, but would you think of somebody in your life, would you love them enough to climb up to the roof of a house carrying a a, a paralyzed man who can't help you at all on a mat? You climb up on a roof, and then they're walking around, and they're looking, they're listening. Where is he? Where is he? You know, could you imagine the house was so full of people that it wasn't very quiet? So they're up there looking, going, what? I'm, I can't, because they can't, can't see through the roof. Roof's there so that nothing gets through. You can't see through it. So they're walking along and they're listening. Where is he? They finally found what they think they hear his voice and they start tearing off the roof of this person's house that Jesus was in. Talk about love. They could be sued. Imagine we're sitting here in our in our church, and all of a sudden we hear digging in the roof above. What are we going to do? What is going on? And then we see the roof, the, the the ceiling open up, and then what happens? So when they had broke through, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed was lying. They let this guy down on ropes on his mat. 
to sit before Jesus. Wow. Verse 5, So when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoned in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately the man arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. That's love. That's love. And the four men, that's faith. But, don't get me wrong when I say this. And don't say, whoa, wait a minute, Ed. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Ed. Why did you say that? When I make this next statement, I'm just preparing you already. It's not that Christ doesn't love the faith, because he does, and it is important to him. But we cannot ignore the main reason why Jesus helped this paralyzed man in Mark. So look at verses 5 and look in verses 10 again with me. Verse 5 says, he says to the man, Son, speaking to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't heal the man physically first. He took care of the man's biggest problem, which is all our biggest problem. It was his sin. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And then when everybody's like, what? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What is this guy doing? He's blaspheming. Then Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, dude. Wait a minute, guys. Verse 10. He says, I hear you, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the guy, hey, get up. You're healed. Take up your bed and get out of here. So it's very clear here because that translates over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. We move right into that as our point. Why did he do the healing in Matthew 8, 17? Why did he do the healing in Mark 2? Read verse 17. That it may be fulfilled. That it may be fulfilled. Fulfilled what? Which was spoken by the prophet. The prophecy that called him the Messiah. Now, it does say other places in Scripture that Jesus saw their faith and he was moved with compassion. And of course, because God is love, as that love is within us, he put that love in there for other people. But what was his main thrust of doing all the healings? Of doing his demon-possessed, doing his, his exorcisms? of feeding the five thousands, that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying that it may be fulfilled. To show people then, and to show people today, that he is the Christ. That he is the Messiah. That he is the righteous one that God sent into this earth to save mankind from their biggest problem. The problem of their sin. And you may be saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I don't know. I, I need some more scriptural proof for that. And I, I don't know. It wasn't enough. Jesus himself says in John 10, 37 and 38, speaking to some irate, angry ridiculous Pharisees, scribes, he says to them, concerning the works that he'd been doing, concerning the things that were going on, 
he says, because they weren't believing in him, he says, don't believe me. It's 10, John 10, 37, 38. He says, don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Don't look, if you don't want to believe me, who I am, maybe you look at me, man, that's, that guy's nothing. He's from nowhere. Who the heck is this guy? He's just a son of a carpenter. He said, don't, don't, don't look at me. Who cares about me? I, I'm nothing. Look at the things that I'm doing. Why was he telling them, look at the things that I do? Why? Why, 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 why? Because if he didn't fulfill prophecy, then he couldn't have been the one that God sent to save mankind from their sins. And here in today's text, we have him fulfilling a prophecy that said that the Messiah himself would be the healer, would be a miraculous, supernatural healer. Not just one of the ones, but the one. The Messiah, the Christ, the Righteous One, not somebody, not a prophet, not a good teacher only, but the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God sent. Because there's only one, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only one. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Allah, not Hare Krishna, not the thousands of Hindu gods. Me, I, I am the one. That's a pretty strong claim to make by the son of a Jewish carpenter that lived in a nothing town, that was born in a nothing town of, of Jerusalem, that was born in a nothing town amongst the Jews. But he backs it up. He backs it up. That's why I say, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because why Jesus is because he proved to us who he was. If he didn't do the miracles, if he didn't do the healings, if he didn't do the things that the prophecy said that the Messiah would do, he would have been a liar. <clears throat> and he would have been a fraud. And we didn't have to believe him at all. He would have been another somebody making lots of good claims but couldn't back it up at all. God, through prophet Isaiah, through all kinds of other prophets, gave all kinds of prophecy about the Christ, about the one, so that we would know without a shadow of a doubt, this is the one that God sent. That's why Jesus said he referred back. That's why Matthew, again, refers to the prophet Isaiah and says... This is the one. Look at what he's doing. And look at what the prophet Isaiah said that he was going to do. In prophecy, we have Jesus' birthplace. We have the names of the places he would minister in. We have what family he would be born from. We have the type of birth he would, he would, be, he would have from a virgin. And of course, his ability to heal people from their diseases and their sicknesses. And of course, we can't negate he came to save man, to heal man from their biggest sickness of all, the sickness of their sins. The disciples, 12 disciples, one murdered himself and one went to his old age in the grave, John. They tried to kill him, church history tells us, but it didn't work. Well, we have 10 other disciples, 10 other disciples that went to horrible, gruesome, mortifying deaths that walk with Jesus Christ. What caused ten men that walk with Jesus closer than any of us even walk together for three and a half years to go to brutal, gruesome, horrible deaths for a fraud? When at any moment, and history records this, 
All any one of them had to do was say, Jesus isn't the Christ. He's not the Son of God. I give up. I give up. That's it. No, 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 no. I, I, I quit. It's too, it hurts too much. No, I'm sorry. Take it back. And they would have said, oh, stay the blade. Peter was crucified upside down. Church history records that Bartholomew went and converted a king's son and they filleted, they put him on a cross and they filleted every piece of skin off his entire body. And he still was preaching so they had to cut off his head. What makes these men go to their death when they firsthand would have seen that Christ was a fraud? Unless he was true. Unless he fulfilled the prophecies that were written thousands, hundreds and thousands of years before he lived. Unless he did the miracles that they saw him do. Unless he did die, and unless three days later, as the Bible records, he did come back to life. And his disciples did see him, and then they went like wildfire all throughout the whole world, and they told everybody they could about Jesus. Wow. Let's read the prophecy itself. End of 17. That it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. First of all, what does Matthew do? Matthew gives us the place to find the prophecy. Matthew just doesn't quote some vague uh, saying, uh, maybe said by some you know, historian of 5,000 years ago. Well, we can't really you know, who that was. He gives the name. It was by the prophet Isaiah. Everybody knew Isaiah is the longest, most, most in-depth prophetical book of the whole Tanakh or Old Testament. The oldest one and the longest one. The most in-depth and more prophecies came from Christ from Isaiah than from any other prophetical book, I believe. I'm almost positive. So, the prophet Isaiah, we go to him. He wrote his prophetical book six to seven hundred years before Christ lived. Wow. Christ was born around 1 or 2 AD, and Isaiah wrote his book in right about the year six or seven hundred. And of course, that would be six or seven hundred years before Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, before he grew up, before he died for the sins of mankind. So that's what Matthew is pointing out to us here. So we're going to read a little bit of Matthew 53 to see if there are a few other things that God says to us about the Messiah. And we can see and make our own decisions, anybody that's listening, about the descriptions of written about Christ six to seven hundred years before he lived in the text. So if you want, go to Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. If you don't want to, I'm going to read it. doesn't matter. It's in the Old Testament. And Isaiah says in 53, 1, he says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, there's he, we don't get a name on the he, but we get for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now this he, second half of verse 2, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. This, this, this he wasn't a very handsome he, he didn't really wasn't really beautiful. When you looked upon him, you like, who? Wow, kind of. Well, anyway, I, I, what's going on, man? Verse three, he is despised and rejected by men. That was this he. He's also a man of many sorrows and acquainted with grief. This man was was often tormented. He was often saddened by what was going on around him. And we hid, it says, Isaiah 3, as it were our faces from him. He was despised. So people hated him. And we did not esteem him. We didn't hold him up very high. He, was, he wasn't a very, very popular guy. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs. Now, that's, this is New King James Version. And I went back to the, to the Hebrew, and the word for griefs is koli, and it literally means sickness. 
just the, the New King James Version used the word griefs. Griefs and sickness, you know, when you're sick, you're usually grieved. You don't, you don't feel so good. So I went back because I wanted to, to know on that myself when I read that he bore their griefs. And I went, wait a minute. And I went back to the original Hebrew, and sure enough, it was sickness. So he bore our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. And there again, we have a word that doesn't match the new, which the New King James Version writers decided to write sorrows. But the Hebrew word is makab, and it means physical and mental pain and sorrow. So we go back to verse 17. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So the words are there. The New King James writers just decided to use more descriptive words rather than the basic ones. I don't know why. And it says here, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So this is a man that God afflicted, that God smote for some reason. But verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. So now this is not only a man that suffered a little bit, that was not necessarily the most popular guy, that had, you know, that was that 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 was meant to do something, but this was a guy that also God smote. And his chastisement meant others' peace. Hmm. So, so God was doing something to this he that would make others get peace. I'm just trying to think of all of history. Who that could be that God afflicted so that others could have peace. That doesn't make any sense. Why would God afflict somebody so that others would get peace? And then God says, Isaiah says, and by his stripes, we are healed. So by affliction, by harm that came to him, we were going to get healed. Wow, that's something else. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And here's a big one. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God, iniquity, iniquity is another fancy word for sin. So God laid our sin on him. Why would God lay sin on anybody? Unless God laying that sin on that person meant that, well, oh, wait, oh, that's right. We would get peace from him. So you see, I hope that the Spirit spoke that to you. That could only be one. There's only one man that had sin of all the world laid upon him so that we could have peace. And that was the Messiah. That was the one to come. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. Exactly. Now, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's worth saying again. Remember, Matthew was the converted Jewish tax collector. And he wrote his gospel to the Jews. So all throughout his gospel, he literally little, litters it with prophecy that Christ fulfilled from the Old, Test Old Testament, or the Jewish would call their Tanakh, to show the Jews that Jesus fit the bill of the prophecies that the Old Testament God put in there to describe the one that was going to come to save mankind. To show that who the Christ was. Amen. And hands down, Christ is that one. And Jesus for sure is this promised Messiah. As he meets all of the prophetical word that is in the Tanakh or the Jewish Old Testament or, or the Jewish Bible or our Old Testament, he meets them all. Amen. So why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why, Ed? Why is Jesus the one I have to go to? Why? Why is Jesus the Messiah? Because we have proof. Biblical and extra biblical. Why am I a Christian? 
I'm not a Christian because of some nice warm feeling I had one time after I read something. I'm not a, a Christian because of some really good speaker talked me into it. I'm not a Christian because of any benefit I've received physically or any perk. Nobody paid me any money to become a convert because I was not always a Christian. Or whatever, you name it. I'm not a Christian for any of those reasons that you might think, oh, that guy's a Christian because you know, somebody paid him off. I am a Christian partly, not wholly, but partly because I looked at the biblical and extra-biblical proofs of Christ and the Bible as a whole. And when I looked, the proofs were, are, and always will be there. Jesus Christ and the Word of God are not fairy tales. They're not a good children's book. They weren't written by some guys in a dorm room a couple few hundred years ago and then it became a story that impacted the whole world. There are proofs of the Bible and of Jesus Christ in the Bible and outside the Bible all over. And they're everywhere. And they're real. And you can verify them. And you can prove them in the real world that you live in today. You can prove the reasons and the history of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. So, where are you at with the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty today? Are you an atheist? Maybe you're an agnostic. An atheist is someone that doesn't believe in God at all. Doesn't believe in Jesus Christ at all. An agnostic is someone that believes in God, but you know, that's that's well and good. Oh, there's a God out there. Yeah, I, I can believe that there's a creator, but then that's as far as they go. They they don't claim that there'd be any one of them could be right. Maybe just, just God. We just call him God. I used to be one of those. Both. For the majority of my life. I'm 38 and I only came to become a Christian by when I was about 25 years old. So I've only been a Christian for about 13 years. And I myself was a, I didn't, I, maybe God, yeah, whatever, you know, but I didn't care. I was an agnostic for a long time. And then I, I became an atheist when I got hurt in a religion who only really wanted my money. They didn't care about me. They only wanted my money. And my words were when I left that place, was if God wants my money, doesn't he have everything? If that, that is what the Bible says, why would he need my money? And I, I said, ah, that's it. I can't be a God. Absolutely, it's just man-made. To you, I say, if that's you, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, look at all of creation. Look at the sun. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Look at all of creation that sits out your window right now. Look out your window. And I ask you to think of a picture on the wall. Look at also a picture that you have on your wall. And I want you to look at that picture and look at that picture and think to yourself, wow, that's a nice picture that just popped there. Just poofed right there on the wall. And I want you to think of how ridiculous that is. Because you don't look at a picture and think, oh, wow, it's amazing how it just popped there. You think, wow, that, that, that guy took a good picture. Somebody... Somebody painted a really, really nice picture. Because somebody, that picture came from something. Just like all of creation out your window that mankind can't hardly touch and all we can do is view it and yet it's out there. We can't affect it. We can't modify it. And yet there it is. It's so beautiful and so perfect. How did it get there? I challenge you, if that's you today, to look at all the proofs that the Bible has for itself and for Jesus Christ. Some of the things, same things we looked at today. We have a historian by the name of Josephus who wrote about Jesus Christ in his days, who detailed out things that Jesus did and disciples that were still alive when Josephus was there. 
We have an early Roman historian. His name is Tacitus. And he also did the same thing. Now Jews and Romans, by the way, had no real... They had no real unction to prove that Jesus Christ was who he said he was because the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and Romans thought he was just another crazy person trying to lead another sect. So neither one of them had any reason to say or prove that Jesus was who he said he was. And yet, we have two ancient historians that do. We have the early church Christian fathers. You can look these things up, by the way. It's all there. Go get books. Go look on the internet. It's all there, all over. Littered all over. Not just in a secret hiding place that nobody can find. It's all over. Nobody has an excuse. We have the early church Christian fathers. Early Christian church fathers of the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries. 100, 200, and 380s. Where we had all these Christian fathers. And if you take their sermons... Through all the first, second, and third centuries that they wrote, which they all wrote them down because they preached them and people wrote them and I write out my sermons. And you can, you can compile 98.5 or 99.2% of the entire New Testament Bible out of just their sermons. Because I use scripture in my sermons. And so did they. So outside of the Bible, that's not a Bible. You just go to what they taught. And you can compile almost 100% of the New Testament from just their sermons alone. Proof of the Bible. The Smithsonian uses the Bible and has used the Bible to find some of its most powerful and eye-popping archaeological digs. They've gone all over the world, especially in the Middle East area, and taken the Bible as their guidebook. And dug where the Bible said that the proof was supposed to be, and they find the archaeological proof that the Bible says is there. And by the way, they're an atheistic universe. They're an atheistic place. They don't believe that the Bible is spiritually correct. Historically, we still have the Jews, who have been one of the smallest nations of the whole world's ever known, and yet we still have a Jewish nation today who's surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of Muslims that all want to kill them. What stops them? We have a handful of a few million Jews and one quarter of the city that they were originally given by God with Muslims that even live in the city around them that hate them. Yet they don't go anywhere. Nobody can touch them. Nobody can wipe them out. Yet people want to squash them like cockroaches. And nobody can. And we have, lastly, what we talked about today. We have prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy that's in the Bible that details out things about Christ, things about the Jews, things about the end times, things about this, things about that, that are all shown that happen way after the actual event happened. And only God can know the future. And the Bible's full of of prophecy. And I could go on all day. I exhort you today if that you seek the truth. Ask God, give him the benefit of the doubt and say, God Almighty, Jesus Christ, if that is your name, show me and reveal yourself to me if, if you're really real. I really want to know. Not like a circus performer wants to see a lion or a, a bear jump through a hoop, but really earnestly seek and say, God, are you really there? Please, would you reveal yourself to me? And then go take what you heard today and go and go get some books and go on the internet and punch in the things that I talked about and you'll see the proofs that are all right there. And God, if you give him an earnest shot, he will reveal himself to you. Please seek him if that's you today. Are you a believer? Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, man. I, I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm here to tell you, as I've said before, probably almost every sermon, just believing and trusting in Jesus Christ is not enough. You believe in that job that you have. You believe in that place that you live, yet they could burn down tomorrow and you could be fired tomorrow. 
just believing and trusting in is not salvation, folks. If you don't have a relationship with and live for and serve Jesus Christ, you are in trouble. Deuteronomy 10, 12-13, And now God says to Israel, or to people as all, What does the Lord your God require of you? So when we hear, What does God inquire of us? Oh, man, that's something i got to take notice of. Okay, let me write it down. Let me open my ear. This is what God requires of people. Whoa. And he says, But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I commanded you Today, for your good. Just believing and trusting in is not enough. God says, surrender to me and make me your Lord. And serve me and trust in me and follow me and do the things which I told you to do. And then he says at the end, why do I tell you to do those things? Because I'm your harsh taskmaster. Wrong. I tell you to do those things. I command you today for your good. Not for your evil, God says. Not because I'm some harsh uh, monkey trainer that whips his his animals and, and likes to beat them and abuse them and ruins all their fun. God says, no. I want you to do that for your good. Not for your evil. Jesus Christ loves you and he died for your sins to prove his love to you and now he says if you love me do what I say for it's only those that do what I say that love me but it's not for your bad remember again it's for your good and surrender to Him and have a relationship with Him today. He's calling out to you who believe. Because you're not safe. Because the blood of Christ doesn't cover your sins. Because Christ's death doesn't cover you because you don't abide in Him. And are you a real Christian? Praise God. That means you follow Christ. You're obedient to His commands. You surrender your life to Him daily. And you don't live for you, but you make a decision today, I'm going to live for Jesus. Well, I exhort you to please keep trusting. Keep abiding. The Bible says to those who endure to the end, you should be saved. But those proofs aren't all all there just for atheists, just for agnostics. Those proofs are there to build up your faith too, Christians. This isn't a fairy tale. God is not some book that somebody wrote in some obscure corner of the world. The Bible was written by over 40 people over thousands of years time. And it all has the same theme. And you can see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. He's all right there. Keep going. Keep going. Be a light to those people that don't believe. Surrender daily, fall on your knees daily, continue to walk, continue to trust, continue to love because of the salvation that Christ has given you, the grace that has been poured out upon you. Continue to run the race. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this message, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that you pour out on all mankind. Thank you that you don't even just give us one chance. You give us lots of chances, Lord. You give us chances as long as we're breathing to come to you. But the moment our breath stops is the moment that whatever we've done, we go to stand before you with. And at that point, you either say, be gone from me, I never knew you, or come on in, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. Come on in, I'll make you ruler over much. 
God, I pray for those out there listening that aren't yours, that maybe just believe. God, I pray that they would look at the proofs. I pray that they'd look what you said, how to follow you, not how some somebody said it sometime, or they prayed a prayer one time. Lord God, I pray that they would look and see how you said to follow you, Jesus Christ, and I pray that they would. God, show them that they're wrong, that I can believe in anything, and that doesn't make a bit of difference, Lord. It's only when that belief, it's only when that faith impacts my life I'm going to live for what I believe I'm not just going to believe it and then be all the same that is not Christianity Lord I pray you show them the truth God and save their souls and Lord for the atheist and the agnostic out there I pray dear God that you would bring them to the truth Lord God I pray that they would just Lord you'd give them a smidgen of faith well they already have it Lord that they would use their smidgen of faith and say, well, I owe God a shot if he's really real. I got to, let me just go check him out. And God, at that point, I pray you would just have them pull up their bootstraps because they're going to find more than they can bargain for. And I pray, God, you'd lead them to the truth, Lord God, as they seek. And I pray you'd lead them to their knees that they would surrender before the Lordship of Jesus Christ too. Knowing that you're not a fairy tale. You're king of all creation and creator of all the universe. And God, I pray for the Christian out there. I pray that you would continue to strengthen them, continue to bless them, continue to draw them near and closer unto you, and continue to reveal yourself to them as they continue to walk with you and love you and trust in you every day of their lives and serve you and obey you. Bless them all, dear God. And may you, be, may you be glorified and may you be magnified in all the earth. And I ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.